let's lift our voices to Jesus. We give you praise and we thank you, Jesus, for being in this place today, Lord. Again, Lord, we've come here. We're thankful to be together with one another. You've brought us together. Oh, but to be in your presence, to sense your presence and your love, releasing us from the cares that we carry. Lord, we thank you. We truly do that your love, your care is beyond measure. We thank you that it never runs dry. It never runs low. It overflows and it's abundant. Lord, we live in a world where we fail others and others fail us. But you never, ever fail us. You never falter. You're always faithful. So, Lord, we just want to say thank you for your presence here today in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's give him another shout today. And you can be seated. Wonderful. What a great morning we're having so far in God's presence. It's wonderful. We're going to continue this morning just around this verse of Scripture that we've been looking at over the last number of weeks. Psalm 86, verse 11. David says to the Lord, Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways that I might walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Teach me your ways. In asking God to teach him, he's revealing to us that God is the teacher. David, through this psalm, I said to you a number of weeks ago, is revealing his condition of life. He's in dire straits. He's in a real needy place. This is the king of Israel. This is a man that has tremendous power, tremendous wealth. He's been greatly blessed by God. He's been given so many, many things. And yet in this psalm, we find him openly and honestly calling out to God. The opening verse, he says, oh, bow down. Bow down. Listen to me. Isn't it wonderful that David knew that God wasn't distant? Isn't it wonderful that David knew that he could appeal to God as one who would bow down, as one who would listen to him? Do you know there's so many people in our world, in your world, that has no idea that God would even condescend to come down and listen and bow down and be open to resolve their need. So many people in our world think that God is far, far removed. So many people have this image in their mind that God is a hard taskmaster. God has a stick and he, he wants to catch us out and he's observing us from a distance and when we falter, when we go wrong, he's there ready to correct us and be harsh with us. And many times we have those kind of ideas and those kind of pictures about God because they're the kinds of ideas that we would have about our lives. 
and we interpret our lives and we think about our lives and we think, well, how could God be any different to how we are? You see, God's not who we think he is. God is who he says he is. He really is. And nowhere in my Bible does it say that God is ready to act with vengeance. God is ready to just offload his anger. Now, the Bible says that God is slow to anger. He can get angry like we get angry. But he's got a long, long fuse. God is very, very slow. God is very, very slow to get angry. It says that he's rich in mercy and love. Rich in mercy, abundant in mercy. And David in this psalm, Psalm 86, is in a period of his life where he's in a very, very dark time, in a very, very difficult time, being pressed from all sides. Circumstance is hitting him, and he's on the floor. It would seem when you read the psalm that everybody's left him. It would seem as if he's alone. It would seem as if he's abandoned. But what I want to say to you is this. Sometimes it's not the most favorable place to be in, but it can be the best place to be in. Because when others have forsaken you, you begin to understand that the Lord will never leave you. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul when he was in Asia. Paul had faithfully traveled through Asia, planting church after church, giving his life to people, sowing his time, building the church of God, going from city to city, town to town, village to village, just doing his best to do what Jesus had called him to do to build the church. And then suddenly, think about this. All the churches, now this isn't the world, this is the people of God. This is the, the people that have a relationship with Jesus. This is the people that Paul had gone after. This is the people that Paul had found in terrible condition in the cities that he went to and the towns and the villages that he spoke in. All of those people in the church turned on the Apostle Paul. But it was no great surprise to the Apostle Paul because right at the outset of his calling on the Damascus Road, Jesus said, I will show you exactly how much you must suffer for my name. And Paul suffered in the world. Paul suffered in the church. The entire church of, of, of Asia that he was responsible for planting turned their back on him. Paul, like David, in Psalm 86, was in a low moment. Just imagine having all the, not the world now, but the church turn on you. Your friends, your family that you've built up, that you've given your life to. He's in a terrible predicament and he says, everyone in Asia, listen, everyone in Asia deserted me. But then he followed it by this, but the Lord stood by me. The Lord stood by me. Do you know what? Unfortunately, sometimes we do desert one another. 
unfortunately sometimes we do find ourselves abandoned we do find ourselves alone but I want to say to you today if that's your place today or if that's your lot in the future the Lord will always stand by you in fact the writer to the Hebrews said this that he will never leave us or forsake us that's why we may boldly say whom shall I fear we would never dare say that. We would never look life in the face and say, whom shall I fear? We would never utter those words to an uncertain future. Whom shall I fear? Unless we knew that the Lord would never forsake us. And in the book of Hebrews, the writer says, we can boldly say it. We can boldly say, whom shall I fear? Why? Because the Lord has promised he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. What is the circumstances that you find yourself in? Or what are the circumstances that you've just come through? Or what is the, 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 the issue and the problem and the need that you have when you lay your head on the pillar at night that haunts you, that stalks you? What is it that tells you that you're abandoned, that it's too late, that there's no change that occurs, that can occur? I tell you now, the Lord will never leave you. The Lord will never forsake you. And David is in a place like Paul was in a place of abandonment. And he says, Lord, bow down. Listen to me. I'm poor. I'm needy. Do you know what? God isn't ashamed of our poverty. God is not ashamed or critical about our soul need. David didn't need acquisition and money and, and kingdoms. He had all of that. This was a, a more deeper need that he had in his life, something internal that others couldn't see. But David knew that it was there, it was like a big gaping hole inside. And he says, God, on the outside it might look as if I'm successful. On the outside it might look as if I've got everything cracked. On the outside, people might be envious about my position, about my status, about all of the power that I have. They might be envious, but inside I'm poor. Inside I'm in need. Bow down. Listen to me. Listen to me. David in this psalm shows us his condition. But in his cry to God, he shows us and reveals to us God's amazing character. You see, God is one who will bow down and listen. That should encourage you. He will listen to you like no other. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and... You know, you're so excited to tell them something. You're so excited. You've got, you've got some news that you want to share with them. It's exciting for you. And you, you pick a friend that you want to share this news with. And you begin to tell them and you're so excited. And then suddenly you realize that physically they're there, but mentally they're not. Their eyes tell a story their mind is wandering and suddenly you realize that they're not listening to you suddenly you realize that their mind is somewhere else 
And sometimes, you know, you can really feel deflated. You can really feel disappointed because you just want them to listen. You really do. Because you're excited. Do you know what? David said, bow down and listen to me. Why? Because he knew that God would give him his full, absolute attention. He would listen to every detail. He would listen to every cry. He would listen to all of the heartache, layer after layer after layer after layer. God would listen to it. And David knew that he could just speak to God on a, on a level where God would listen. The, the, the prophet Jeremiah said it like this. He said, I just poured out all of my soul like water before him. I just spilled out everything inside me before the Lord. Do you know you can do that? Do you know you haven't got to carry your cares or your worries or your fears or the questions that can really rob us of peace? You can just pour out your whole soul like a glass or a jug of water before Him and just let it spill out all of that trouble in His presence. Why? Because He listens. He doesn't look with a critical eye. He doesn't look with harsh eyes. You know, James is here this morning. I hope James doesn't mind me saying this. James is a heart surgeon. And he gets to help people who are critically ill at a point of life and death. Now, what if James turned up to work one day and began to look at somebody's heart and get critical about it and say, man, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have lived the life you lived. When James examines a heart, I'm sure he can understand exactly what that person has done to arrive at that critical place of needing heart surgery. But James doesn't turn up critical. That would, that would impede his judgment, impede his work to heal and to help. James turns up with compassion. James turns up with a desire to help, a desire to, to bring wholeness. God comes to our lives and He doesn't look at us critically. He doesn't examine our lives judgmentally. He looks at our lives compassionately. I was with Colwyn a few weeks ago, and Colwyn, we were talking. He makes a great cup of tea, Colwyn does. Oh, he does. He got the we had the biscuits, didn't we, Col? It was a proper pastoral visit. It was fantastic. And Colwyn, Colwyn was telling me, you know, just going through his life as a paramedic. And, and he would just, he, sometimes he wouldn't know where he was going next and what situations he was going into. He would just land on the scene and there would just be complete chaos. People bleeding on the street. Sometimes people just, you know, through their own misbehavior, in a, in a critical condition, just lying on the floor. Sometimes he'd have to go into homes and he'd find people there in various states and they'd have, to, they'd have to aid them medically and get them to a place where they could get them to hospital. Now, if Colwyn went into that situation of life, 
where he began to criticize and be judgmental, he'd never help anybody. Yet because paramedic, whether you're a paramedic or a heart surgeon or a nurse, there's nurses here, there's doctors here in this congregation. We should give thanks for them because God has given them a heart of compassion, a heart where they want to help others who are suffering. And God is like that even more than we can imagine, even more than we can realize. God is full of compassion, full of mercy, slow to anger. If he was full of anger, he'd just turn up on the scene where we had, where we had crashed and burned in life and he would just display displeasure. But no, he comes and he rescues us, Paul says. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. God jumps in and rescues us. David is languishing in life. But he knows that God's character is good. He knows that God is not angry. He knows that even though he has failed, he knows that even though he has missed the mark, fallen below the standard, he knows that God is good. In fact, he talks about God's goodness in this psalm. He talks about God's abundance of grace. He talks about God's forgiveness. He actually says that God is ready to forgive. We could kind of interpret it like this. You know, when we get hit by life and when we're languishing at life's side and don't know what to do, God is ready to apply first aid. He's the one on the scene, applying first aid to get us back up on our feet again so that we're running stronger than we've ever run. He's wonderful. And in this psalm, he says, teach me your ways. He realizes maybe that his ways have been at the forefront of his life. His way of doing things has led him to a place of poverty, led him to a place of need. And he says, God, I realize that my ways aren't working. I realize that my ways aren't going to cut it. I want to be taught your ways. Now, I really believe that the Holy Spirit is emphasizing this verse in the Bible. I wouldn't have chosen it. But I do believe that he is emphasizing this Word, this verse, Psalm 86, verse 11, teach me. He's going to be your teacher. He's going to be your teacher. He's going to come into, the, into this place, into our lives. You're going to, he's going to walk with you down life's way as teacher. He's going to teach you. He is. He's going to teach you. You're going to know him as teacher. The wonderful thing about the Lord as teacher is that he's patient. Have you ever had an impatient teacher? Edwards, you, do, you just don't get it, boy, do you? You try hard. Thank you, James. You just don't get it. You've never got it. Since day one in this classroom, you've been trouble. An impatient teacher with a troublesome child. But God is a patient teacher. 
And David wasn't just going to get, he wasn't, he wasn't asking for just this huge instantaneous download from God. Teach me your ways. Okay, there it is on your way. No, he was saying, Lord, teach me your ways. That would mean that every day would be a teaching experience. That would mean that every circumstance would be a learning environment. That would mean that the ups and the downs of life would actually become instructional to him. That life would become the classroom. That life would be the place where the Lord would teach him his ways in the midst of many ways. In the midst of many directions that he could decide to follow, the Lord's way would be the way that he would be taught. Teach me your ways in the midst of a world that I'm unsure of walking in, in the midst of a future that looks bleak. Teach me your ways. God's ways, the Bible says, are perfect. They're perfect. They're above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And David was asking for God to intervene, to show him a new way. The teacher is patient. The teacher is, is willing for you to make mistake after mistake. He really is. The teacher doesn't crack you across the head when you get it wrong. No, he just gently brings you up and teaches you in the midst of your mistakes, teaches you in the midst of your failures, to get it right next time. In fact, David said this. On one occasion, he said, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall seven times, the Lord will deliver him from all of his falling, all of his stumbling. The Lord will direct your steps. The Lord will order your steps. He'll come into the difficult places of life and right there in those junctures where you don't need, where you don't know where to go, teaching will come. Direction will come. The way of the Lord will become clear to you in the time that you need to know it. And that's what David was talking about. Teach me your ways that I might walk in your truth. Teachers are patient. You know, I remember having maybe about 20 driving lessons. And you know what it's like if you pass your test. That's a laborsome time trying to get to the point where you are successful in your driving and you're a safe driver and you're doing everything that they instruct you to do. And then finally test day comes. And the test is designed to see if you have retained everything that you've been taught. The test is designed to see if not only have, have you retained what you've been taught, but you can actually practice it. That it's not just theory, but it's practice. I got to the test day, and my test was in Merthyr Tidville. Ooh. Tell you what, if you can pass your test in Merthyr Tidville, you can pass it anywhere. I went through 30 minutes of being examined by the examiner. I got back to the car park and he said, Mr. Edwards, I'm very sorry to tell you that you failed. And you know, they're so cold in delivering that news. Man, I was heartbroken. I was somewhat like 
18 or 19 years of age. And I was so sad to have thought that I'd gone through all of that process and all of that learning. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to be able to do this. You're excited for the test because you think I've trained for it. I'm ready for it. And now it's an opportunity to go on, to be able to drive on my own. But unfortunately, I failed the test. There were aspects about the teaching that I hadn't grasped. There were aspects about the teaching that I was unable to practice. And the examiner picked up on it. And he failed me. So I had to go through another course. He gave me feedback. Teachers and examiners can do that. They can give you feedback. Don't get angry. When somebody gives you feedback, yeah, it's not easy sometimes. You know, when it's personal, it's not easy sometimes when, you know, it really seems to cut and it's an area that you thought you were strong in and then somebody's saying, hey, listen, you know, you may have to consider this. What? No. Maybe there's an area that you just need teaching in. Let's be open to that. So the examiner gives me feedback and then the driving instructor takes that feedback and he now begins to instruct me because teachers can locate where you are. They can address what needs working on and they can bring you into a place where you're strong in that area. I went for the second test after a, maybe another, I don't know, 10 lessons and I'm pleased to tell you, pleased to tell you, I passed my test. That doesn't mean to say I'm a safe driver. Yeah, I passed my test. The story may be the same for you. The illustration is simple. We need teachers in our lives that are patient with us. In fact, we need to be patient with one another. We do. We can't just, you know, criticize and look at each other's lives and think, do you know what? You should have it, you should have it cracked in that area. You should be strong by now. No, we need to be patient. Yes, we do need to encourage one another. Yes, sometimes we need to rebuke one another and to be firm with one another, but in love, in love. The teacher is patient. The teacher can help us in the tests of life and train us to get through and to go on into a new experience and a new level of living. David was saying, teach me your ways. But you know what? I'm not just happy to be taught your ways. I want to go ahead and walk in them. I don't want to just be a hearer of your word. I want to be a doer of it. I want to get out of the classroom. I want to get out of the theory room. And I want to get into the classroom of life where I can really practice this, this life. This life. God is patient. God is kind. God is loving. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus was confronted with a multitude of people. And he saw multitudes of people. And immediately as he looked around and he saw them, it says that he was moved 
with compassion. You see, he saw the poverty that David was talking about. He saw the need that people were in, and he was moved with compassion. The Bible says that he began to heal them because many of them were sick. Many of them were, were just languishing in life, broken by life, broken by sickness, no hope. And Jesus, moved with compassion, began to heal their sick. But it also says this, he began to teach them. He began to teach them. He began to teach them. Why? Because sometimes we don't just need healing for our bodies. We need teaching in our soul. We need teaching in our mind. We need our views and our attitudes just to be corrected, just to be addressed. And who better than Jesus to address those attitudes in my life and in your life? Who better than Jesus to bring instruction and teaching and truth into our lives so that we can go on into a more blessed place in him. Do you know Paul, the apostle to the Corinthian church said this, that Christ is the power of God. Incredible revelation. Christ is. 1 Corinthians, you can read it. I'll just reference it so you can read it at home. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to finish in a moment. Paul said, Christ is the power of God. The power of God. But he's also the wisdom of God. He says that, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. A wonderful balance. Two wonderful aspects of Christ in our lives, of Christ in the church. He's the power of God, but he's also the wisdom of God. It's wonderful when Christ as the power of God comes into our lives and delivers us. It's wonderful when Christ as the power of God comes in and deals with our poverty, deals with our need, deals with that lonely place that we found ourselves in. When Christ as the power of God comes into our situations of life and brings complete and utter deliver deliverance and brings us into a new standing in life. That's wonderful. But he's not only the, the power of God unto us, he's also the wisdom of God. When Jesus was confronted with a woman, they'd taken and caught in adultery and they threw him at his feet and they wanted to, these men wanted to stone this woman because she'd been caught in adultery. And Jesus as the power of God and the wisdom of God began to operate. And he said to them, first of all, as the power of God, he who has not sinned cast the first stone. Stopped everybody in their tracks. Cancelled the power of the law, the power of Christ, the power of God. In the midst of law, in the midst of judgmental, angry men, defeated them all with one word. He who has not sinned, cast the first stone. They all dropped their rocks and they walked away. That's the power 
of God in Christ, dealing with a life situation, dealing with a judgmental spirit, dealing with legalism and law that wanted to put the life of a woman under its heel and crush her. That's the power of Christ, the power of God in Christ to deal with the law. Absolutely incredible. But he also operated as the wisdom of God. Because he said to the woman, he said, where are your accusers? Amazing love. Amazing salvation. Amazing encounter with Jesus. Where are your accusers? She said, they're gone, Lord. First recognition of him being as Lord in her life. They are gone, Lord. Well, you would recognize him as Lord if he's just saved your life. They're gone, Lord. And then, as the wisdom of God, he says this, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He sets her free with that word, but also he becomes the wisdom of God to her. Why? Because now she can go free and she's not going to land in the same old mess that she was found in, in, in two weeks or three weeks or two months' time. She would be, she would be faced with similar situations that she had found herself in in the future. She would be faced with men trying to coax her into bed again, like she'd found herself in that had got herself in that mess. But the wisdom of God, Christ as the wisdom of God, instructs her and teaches her. That's what the Lord as our teacher can do. He can enable us and empower us to live in new, wonderful ways. Not reverting back to an old default that doesn't work. He said to the paralyzed man that was lowered through the roof, everybody was looking at Jesus, wondering what he was going to do. And he said this, as the power of God, Jesus, you can, you can look through his life and see it. And this is what Paul was remarking on and commenting on when he spoke to the Corinthian church. Jesus is so wonderful, so incredible. The Bible is so consistent. It's brilliant. Brilliant. The man lowered through the roof. Everybody's looking at Jesus and you've got all the religious people there. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Oh my goodness. What power is that? in one statement to cancel a man's sin. That's power. Your sins are forgiven. People's, people in the room are complaining. People in the room are criticizing. People in the room are judging Jesus and judging the man. And then he said this. He said, well, do you know what? Not only are your, your sins forgiven, son, why don't you take your bed up and walk? My God. Oh, God. My God, I want to see him do that. I want to see him do that. I want to see him do those miracles. So his name is praised. Not through any man. Not through any superstar. But I just want to see him drop on the church of God and the whole body of Christ minister it. My God. He's the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. The guy picks his bed up, 
power of God, Christ as the power of God in the midst, cancels a man's sin, heals his body completely, and then as the wisdom of God, he says, now listen, don't go and sin anymore. Otherwise, something worse could happen to you. Wisdom. Wisdom. Correction. He's the power of God and the wisdom of God. And David, understanding this aspect of God's nature, says, Teach me then. Teach me your ways. I've got a background. I've got a history. I've been brought up through the ranks. And as a result of that, I've taken from this source and I've taken from that source. And I feel polluted in many ways. Teach me your ways that I might walk in your truth. God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus sent him to be our teacher. And he is going to teach us out and about in life, in fellowship with one another, in the midst of all of the variances that we go through. He's suddenly going to arrive and you're going to see it. And circumstances and anything contrary, the good, the bad, and the ugly are all going to make sense because the Lord is going to teach you His way. Romans 8, 28. Paul said, we know that all things work together for good. All things work together for good. Why? Why? Because God is in charge of all things. He's the God of all things. All things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. Amen. 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 Lord Jesus, I pray right now for Your people. Holy Spirit, thank You. Jesus sent You so that we wouldn't be orphans so that we wouldn't be children just wandering about doing our own thing. Jesus actually sent you, Holy Spirit, to be our teacher. And you're many other things than teacher, but one of your foremost characteristics and roles in our lives is to teach us. Holy Spirit, we don't want to get to the end of life and have those infamous words hanging over our lives, like Frank Sinatra sung, I did it my way. No thank you. No thank you. Lord, we want David's words over our lives. Teach me your ways, O Lord. We want to be taught by the Lord. We want you to be the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. Lord God, I ask you for your people. I ask you for my own life. Jesus, thank you. Be our teacher. Be our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, while eyes are closed, you may be here today and you don't know Jesus. You've never prayed a prayer asking him into your heart. Right now, I want to pray just a simple prayer and give you the opportunity to ask Jesus into your life. He'll be your Savior. 
He will be the power of God to you. He'll give you peace. He'll give you comfort. He will give you a security that you cannot find. Listen, at the bottom of a bottle, He'll give you security that you can't find in numerous relationships. All the things that we gravitate to as human beings, all the things. Listen, we're all flesh and blood. All of the things that we just run after in the hope of getting some kind of comfort and some kind of fulfillment. Jesus will give you what you need. He is actually the end of your search. And he'll set you up with a blessed life. While you're here and eyes are closed, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you want to ask Jesus into your life, you want to invite him in to be your savior, pray this prayer. Like David prayed, really, in the psalm that we've just talked about. Pray this prayer. Lord, I ask you, bow down. Listen to me today. You can see I'm poor. You can see I'm needy inside. Save me. Save me. Set me free. I want to know you. I can't see you with my eyes, but my heart is calling out to you, inviting you. My mind doesn't understand it, but my heart is pulling you in. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you forgave my sin. And right now I accept that. Amen.